It's been my experience that when God brings us down to a place that's really serious, it's not because he's not because he's trying to like put any you know tightness anything up on us or anything, or it's because he's uh, looking to make adjustments to our heart, you know, and uh, that's a good thing. Praise God. Thank you, Becky. That was good. I had a lot of, a lot of people were helping me out today. That's awesome. So um, today I want to start us off in the book of Joel. So let's turn over to Joel, and uh, I know that that's, I was having a hard time finding it last night when I was trying to thumb to it, but, so I cheated and gave myself a bookmark, but you got plenty of time to get there. So book of Joel, and you're going to be looking at chapter 2. And uh, today, I felt in my heart it was a good time to make another installment of what I call the tradition series. And uh, so we're talking about communion today, and we have, commun- we have the communion thing at the back there, and we'll take it up at the end, but uh, first I want to teach on it. And uh, I never really heard a whole lot of people teach on it. It's interesting, you know, I had done, I'd done a little study on my own, and uh, Brother Hagen, who founded Rama, was talking about how he would always take time to, whenever they took communion, he would take some time to teach on communion because it's a very powerful subject. You know, there's a lot of confusion on this subject because there's a lack of teaching. And uh, it's kind of like growing up in church, I always had, kind of had the feeling, it's one of those things that it's like you feel like you should know, so you're afraid to ask because you feel like you should know. You know, it's like, well, if I ask him, then they'll know that I don't know. But, you know, um, so... Uh, you would think that we'd have clarity on it, but because, because besides water baptism, it's the only other ordinance that Jesus himself commanded us to take seriously. And uh, that, that is probably one of the biggest take-home statements of this entire message right here, is, is that Jesus, he commanded us to take it seriously. You know, he didn't command us to take communion on special days or certain seasons. He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, he freed us to take communion whenever or wherever we want. So you at home, if you don't have grape juice and, and crackers, that's not such a big deal. It's just, you know, you could really take communion with every meal because it's about remembering what Jesus has done for me. You know, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's really a freedom that he's given us in this. He just said his command about it was when you, when you do it, pause and remember me. You know, think about me whenever you do take it, whenever you do, whenever you decide to take it. So a, a good question to me would be uh, to ask, wh- why? Why would he skip telling us when to do it, but then focus on telling us how to do it? You know, 
Well, my intention is to try to answer that and, and spend some time on why taking communion is not some outdated formality, you know, that we just do sometimes. Communion is not some ritual shrouded in mystery that, oh, we just don't really know. It's a mystery. You know, we just, we just take this juice and it's a mystery to me. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know why. They just, they just put it in my hand, so I do it, you know. You know, um, it, because then we, we run the risk of turning it into a superstition, which is uh, not good. You know, there are, there are unbelievers out there who like to tell us that being a Christian is the same thing as being superstitious. I've had people tell me that. It's actually the opposite, because a superstition is a belief in something you don't understand. People, I mean, I, I, like uh, when I was a kid, you know, people would, what's the, you know, the old, oh, if you step on a crack, you'll break your mama's back, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and if you do that, then it's a superstition, because I believe in it, but I don't know why, and I don't understand how it could possibly break, break her back, you know, so that's a superstition, you know, I mean, with, when, when it comes to God, we actually understand God quite well. We understand him because he explains himself in great detail here. And there are a lot of Christians who don't read this, so they don't understand him as well as they should, but they, they at least understand that God has saved them through Jesus, because I'm talking about Christians now. So even that's not a superstition, because they at least understand him on that level. You know, but it's when I just am totally in the dark about why I do something that I'm in superstition, you know. And uh, just like the, the communion table for the believer, God's word gives this open invitation to anyone who is willing to take the time to read it and get acquainted with him. You know. So here in the book of Joel, God makes an important statement, and, and, we, and we, can, you know, we can draw some uh, understanding out of this about why he does things and things like that when we, when we delve into the study here. But this is a famous prophecy in Joel that Peter quotes from in the book of Acts. So most of us have probably at least heard it at least once. And, and then, but to see this prophecy, it, uh, we can see because Peter quotes from it in Acts, we can see that, uh, how much it really applies to modern-day believers, us. So this Old Testament prophecy applies to us. And uh, like I said, you may recognize it when we start to read it. But uh, just to give some background before I start to read it, we, I want to set the stage a little bit for uh, when Joel spoke this prophecy out, the time that he spoke it out. And I'm going to read just a short note about it from the translators of the NLT that I read. They, they, write, they write this these words, quote, they wrote, The people of Judah had become prosperous and complacent, taking God for granted they had turned to self-centeredness, idolatry, and sin. Joel warned them that this kind of lifestyle would inevitably bring down God's judgment. Unquote. That's what, that's what they, the translators wrote to just a little note to us at the bottom in the margin. And that note's absolutely right. The people, they, they heard Joel's warning, they, or they, and they did not heed his warning, you know, because people can hear something and not heed it, right? So they heard it, but they didn't heed it, and eventually, hundreds of years later, they were exiled and sent to Babylon. They lost all the blessings that God had blessed them with, uh, but uh, God was clear that he was planning to bring them back and restore, restore things to them. So let's go ahead and read chapter 2 here. I'm going to start in verse 28, and I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified Classic. God says, this is God speaking, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even upon the men servants and upon the maid servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show signs and wonders in the heavens, and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered and saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the remnant of survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And now straight into the next chapter, because we're the ones who separated it by chapter. You know, they, The writers of the, of the Bible didn't do that, so this just goes straight in there. This, this is still part of the same prophecy. This is verse 1 of chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time when I shall reverse the captivity and restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there will I deal with and execute judgment upon them for their treatment of my people and of my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and because they have divided my land. And I wanted to stress that Peter quoted this prophecy in Acts because I want you to see that without a doubt that this prophecy applies to us, the church. Because some people would say, oh, well, no, that's only for Israel. Well, last week we talked about how Jesus is the good shepherd. And remember, he told the believing Jews, I have other sheep that are not part of this sheepfold. Them too I must bring, and the two will be united into one flock. So then God considers us a part of Israel, part of this, okay? So we're not counted among those nations there in verse 2 that God said he's going to judge. We are counted among Judah and Jerusalem there in verse 1 because you remember the word told us that Jesus did away with the curse of the law, but it doesn't say anything about him doing away with the blessing of the law. Because in the old covenant, the Jews had this list of blessings from God that if they kept the covenant... they'd get those blessings, but if they didn't keep the covenant, they had a list of curses. Not only would they lose the blessings, but they had these curses here. Because there's a difference between just being not blessed and being cursed. You understand that, right? I mean, I could could just not be blessed, at the same time not be cursed. You know, but Jesus did away with the curse of the law. So Christians can choose to stand in God's blessings by doing what he says, but a Christian can also... Not, not get the full benefits of the blessings then as well. You with me? That depends on us. Like Becky was talking about, do I stir myself up? I got, no one's going no to stir me up. You know, I, I have to stir myself up. Now the, all, the Old Testament prophets were trying to stir the people up to turn back to God at the times that they were away from him, and some of them stirred themselves up and some of them didn't. Okay? So, Jesus, then, see, because we say they had, they had to keep the law, the Old Testament Jews, they had to keep the law, and if they kept the law, they had the, bless, the blessings, and if they didn't keep the law, they had the curses instead. But Jesus completed every requirement of the law. He, re- he completed every single requirement, and then he did away, which gave him the right to then do away with the curse of the law. He had the authority to do that because he had fulfilled the law. You see? So then he, he, he decides, I'm going to do away with the curse of the law. But... He, he, he did away with the curse of the law while still retaining the blessing for us. The word said in, in Hebrews 8.6 that Jesus established for us a better covenant based on better promises. 
that means that we ought to have every blessing they had and more. Their problem when Joel made this prophecy was that they had received God's blessing, but then they were acting like they didn't need the God who gave them the blessing. That's what being complacent is. Oh, everything's fine. I'll just hang out here and hang out in my vineyard and just pretend like I'm, I'm, I'm just good by myself. I just, you know. But we're not good by ourselves. We need God. We need Him, we need him every minute. We need Him every day. And so... <clears throat> This here, this understanding that they had walked away from the realization that they needed God because he's the one who gave them the blessing in the first place. This is one of the reasons that Jesus instituted communion so that we would remember. Remember, he said, do this in remembrance of me. It's so that we would remember that God gives us the blessing. He's the one who gives us the blessing and not turn back from doing right. From living right. See, if we put ourselves in remembrance, it's much easier to, to stay on track, stay, stay with God, stay doing what he wants us to do. God wants his people to prosper and live under his blessing. I, I mean, I just, I just imagine it's like God's blessings are just pouring out, and he wants us to live under that, pouring out. If I'm by his side, then when he's pouring out blessings, then I'm just, you know... Brother Hagen told a story of, of a, a, a guy who had, uh, he had, he had, was pastoring a church, and this guy didn't come to church simply because he, 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 didn't, he didn't like how Brother Hagen did things. So he's away, you know, and, and uh, actually what it was is he assumed he wouldn't like how Brother Hagen did things, so he didn't go, just didn't go. And eventually he came, and they were having a revival meeting, and uh, this, the, people were, they had this awesome time of worship, and people started jumping up and giving testimonies, and this guy down there we just happened to be sitting next to the dude that, that had been gone. You can tell I'm from California when I say dude. Anyway, so he's, so he's down there, and uh, this, the, the one guy gets blessed, and so he's like, hallelujah. He jumps up, and he gives a testimony and sits down, and the other guy jumped up. This is the guy that had been out for a long time, and he jumped up, and he, he got ready to do something, and Brother Hagin says, now, now stop right there, brother. He said, you just, he, said, he said, you didn't get blessed. You just got some sloshed over on you from the guy that got blessed next to you. He's like, you need to wait a little while before you give a testimony because you've, you, you know, you've just been out of here for a little while, you know. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. But yeah, staying next to God, you just get blessed continually. So he wants us to live under his blessing, you know, not just go, not just, you know, some people think that uh, I just need an encounter from God. Well, you can have an encounter from God all the time. You know, it's not just a one or once or twice lifetime thing. Yeah, there are times when you will experience God's presence in greater measure, but the truth is, is that he always wants us there living under his blessing at his side. But too often, it seems to me that people get sluggish in their love for God after they get the blessing. And when they lose the blessing, because they've grown sluggish and they've, you know, God's, God's always moving, God's always working, and so if we don't stand next to him, see... Uh, I heard a minister one time make a good point. We, we, we endeavor to reach the lost, and, and sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that the lost are so terrible, such terrible people that we can't be around them. But the reality is, is that, you know, this, this minister said, it, it, you know, she's from Australia, so she'd see, as she's going, she'd see sheep here and there because they, sheep, sheep aren't the most intelligent creatures. Okay, so, so there's like a group of sheep, and, and you see one stray. Well, how did it go stray? Well, because they were eating as a group, and the one's eating grass, and the rest of them move on, and he's so intent on eating grass that he looks up, and it's like, oh, I'm lost. 
Where'd they go? And that's really a lot of people are. I mean, they're just trying to live day to day. And so because they get so focused on what they're doing, when they look up, every, you know, they're lost now, you know. And it's like, uh-oh. Well, God, thank God, he seeks out the lost. So, so when, when a lot of people, like I said, they, they, it seems like they get sluggish for God. They, they're, they're so intent on the blessing that they, you know, they wander off or whatever. And when they lose the blessing, suddenly they're crying out to God for help. Well, that's good that they're crying out to God for help, but they don't necessarily understand why all of a sudden they're needing that much help. And so, I mean, we see it again and again throughout the Old Testament where the people would, they would turn to God with all their heart and, and, and things would be good for them for a while, but as soon as they got into prosperity for a little while, all of a sudden they turn away from God and now, oh, well, we lost everything. And so then God has to rescue them again. You know, and it's this, it's this constant cycle you see. And so that should serve as a warning to us you know, this is why I believe that revivals are so passionate out in the third world. You know, I mean, you can you can Google, you can you can look it up on YouTube. There's some amazing stuff you can see out there. What's going on out out in the churches out there? I mean, people getting saved by the thousands. You know, and and I believe it's because they're, you know, I, I mean, they're so passionate about God out there that even though their faith is criminalized, they're they're heavily persecuted and they have almost nothing materially. They're desperate for God because they're completely dependent on God for everything, and they love him so much for the freedom that they have in Jesus. And it's like, it's just amazing to see it, you know. And uh, I keep mentioning this word covenant. I feel like I should explain what that word means. To put it simply, it's an agreement that God offers to make with people. You know, it's an agreement that you choose to live by. And really, it's something that you enter into. That's why it has to be. God, that's why it has to be voluntary. When God when God offers to make a covenant with someone, He's telling them, "This is you know, when you enter into a covenant for, with me. This is what I'll do for you if you do this for me." And so it's words to live by. And a lot of people have trouble with that, you know. But God's God's fair about it. This is what you you know. If you you, you want to enter into covenant with me, you got to accept Jesus, and you have to live as if he's your Lord, and do everything he says to do. You know, I mean, in the Old Testament, the Jews, their covenant with God, they were to keep God's laws, and in return, he'd be their God. He'd bless them in their own land, bless them with their own land, and in their own land. And he'd bless them with good crops, healthy livestock, healthy children, freedom from any nation that might oppress them. Okay, the new covenant he offers us is, like I said, we accept Jesus, his son, his Lord, do whatever Jesus commands. And then in return, God will bless us with his protection, provision, healing, peace of mind, and heart, and freedom from sin. And I know that in a lot of cases here, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, you guys understand this, but I'm actually looking to equip you to help you when you are winning the lost. Because this is what you can tell them, you know, as the Spirit leads. <laughs> See, God wants to actually, and, and what we're going to see here in this chapter in Joel that we read, is God actually wants to restore to us everything that we lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Actually, uh, what the Jews experienced, you, you could say in their covenant, see, this is why our covenant is a better covenant based on better promises, because they, they, there was a lot being restored to them under that covenant, but not the fullness of what Adam and Eve had in the garden. And actually, it's even, it's even more than what they had because now we're brought into to sonship, daughtership, 
to God. You know, so, I mean, actually engrafted into his family. You know, he takes, a, he takes an orphan and he says, you're an orphan no longer. So, remember, we are included in this prophecy where God said, I'll restore the, the, restore, reverse the captivity and restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, he meant it for those times, but he meant it for these times as well. There's dual fulfillment there. In, in those times, it was their captivity to foreign nations. But in these times, God is talking about captivity from sin. Jesus said that whoever lives in sin is a slave to sin. People who live in sin are in bondage to sin. I remember the first time I read that, it just it was like it was a slap across my face. Jesus said, they said, he was talking to the Jews. They said, we've never been slaves to anybody. He, he said, anyone who lives in sin is a slave to sin. And it was like, it's just a slap across my face. It's like, whoa. Spiritual bondage. Spiritual slavery. God wants to free us from that. And uh, so Jesus came to free us from sin and to restore our fortunes. Reverse the captivity and restore our fortunes. Fortunes doesn't just mean finances. That's not, that's not all that word means. It means you're blessed body, spirit, and soul. It means you're blessed in health, in prosperity, in favor with God and man. Blessed in your work. Blessed in your ministry. Blessed in your family relationships. But all of these, all of these blessings come out of constant Communion with God. You know, the, the, the same, the, the, our word communicate and the word communion, they both come from the same root word. Constant relationship. When we start to forget God and, and just look for the blessings, we can lose it all again or never gain what we were hoping to gain in the first place when we came to God. You know, people come to church sometimes, you know, and I, I mean, people come to the door and you talk to them, and sometimes from hearing them talk, you wonder, what are you really looking for? Because if they come, they're looking for something. A lot of people out there are looking for God without really knowing they're looking for God. Sometimes they're just looking for uh, just a deliverance to something they're going through or whatever. They're not necessarily looking for God himself. But God can, I mean, God can reveal himself to them. And so it's not my job to kind of shake somebody awake and say, wake up. Stop looking for just the blessings, you know. Because God will bless them and God can, God can help them. You know, God can show them what, what is really important, what really matters. <laughs> and so then I'm going to say this, you know, to constantly, and I mean it's a complicated sentence, but to, to constantly put ourselves in remembrance of our first love toward God is of the utmost importance. Remember Jesus said, told that church in Revelation, he said, remember your first love. Repent and do the first works. Because they had gotten into just working for God and they weren't in relationship, they weren't, didn't have the same type of relationship they had with him before. Maybe they had more of a, uh, you know, just more of a, a working relationship with God. I touched on that a little bit last week. But see, he said, remember your first love. So I'll say it again, to constantly put ourselves in remembrance of our first love toward God is of the utmost importance. It's like breathing in. It's that important. Breathing in, breathing out. It's that important. 
It's the same exact thing Jesus was talking about when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seeking first the kingdom of God is seeking after God's interests. Actually, you know, you, you, depending on which gospel you read that out of, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we say, well, okay, well, you know, uh, I mean, it's awful hard to be righteous. Well, you're, you're, we know that you're not supposed to endeavor to be righteous. You accept Jesus, and he calls you righteous. And then you live to please him. <laughs> so that, that, I quoted that out of uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you want to look that up later. But for now, I want us to turn back over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. How are we all doing with this today? Y'all good? Communion is kind of a deep subject. Really, you could talk on it a whole lot more than I'm going to, but, you know, when it comes to communion and really everything that God offers, I've heard ministers say you can't give out God, outgive God. You can't outgive Him, and it's so true. He's able to give us exceedingly abundantly whatever we ask or think, beyond what we can ask or think. But what he wants us to do, I believe, I've come to this conclusion because, uh, you know, I mean, you, if you keep up with what people say on the internet and stuff, and I mean, I would say to limit yourself because just a lot of that is just junk and garbage and all it's going to do is muck up your heart and you're going to be like, oh, why am I so depressed? Well, because you're, you know, you've got, got, to, got to keep yourself full of God, full of the Holy Spirit. But uh, so I've, I've heard people, you know, really shout down what they call the prosperity gospel. And I'm like, well, you know, the, the root, the essence of the gospel is Jesus. Um, but uh, people are like, oh, well, you know, the prosperity gospel just it makes people happier, but, but they're much more irresponsible with money. And really, I mean, that's just one facet of, of, of the blessing that God wants to pour out on people. That's why I don't, I don't emphasize that, you know. Um, but... Uh, Really, the conclusion I've come to when experiencing God's blessings is to say, why is he blessing me? For what purpose is he blessing me? Because I can easily get over into selfishness, complacency, like we've talked about with that. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened to those people that Joel prophesied to. And so it, it's not, it's not uh, about being blessed for our own benefit. You know, before Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Freely you have received, freely give. But many times what God gives me is dependent on how far he can trust me with what is given. Can he trust me with the working of miracles? If, 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 I mean, is, is he aware that I, I, I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get over into error and start abusing the gift? And end up doing more harm than good. I told God before, I don't even know what I would do with that. If that was like a constant, uh, I, you know, that's why this relationship with God is so important. Because his grace is so super abundant. Okay? Without him working by our side, we wouldn't know which way is up. I thought about this, you know, the kids like to play, um, well, not so much anymore, but they used to like to play this game called Minecraft. Have you heard of that? It was like all the rage a little while ago, and people are still into it. But you, you, you play, you know, you can, 
you can you can play it and you can say, okay, if you go into that creating mode where you can build stuff, it starts you off on this endless, vast plain of green and just as far as you can see. And you've got everything that you can imagine to build whatever you want. And it's like, I don't even know what to build. That's what, that's what I did. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, imagine if God just had, if he just gave us everything at once. It's like, I don't even know where to start. I have no idea. You know what I mean? I would, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll build a castle. You know, so I'm trying to build a castle, and I'm, one side's all lopsided, and I'm like, what happened there? I don't, you know. It's because God doesn't care about that game, so he's not telling me this is where you put this block, and this is where you put this block, and this is the color block you want for here. Maybe he'd help me if I asked. I don't know. It's like fun time with God, you know. I mean, he likes that too, but the point is, is that without him working by our side, we'd be like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, he's got it. He, he's like, here, work this part of the field now. Now do this. Now, okay, now it's time to sow. Now it's time to plant. Now it's time to cultivate. Now it's time to water. Now it's time to harvest. Sometimes I think that Christians are like out there in some part of, way off in the left part of the field, you know, because they went out there, they're so excited, and they're out there, uh, you know, they don't even know how to harvest it, and God's over there sharpening the blade. Didn't tell you to go out there yet. What are you doing? I've had my dad tell me that on the job. What are you doing? I don't know. I, I just, I thought I would just break into the paint. We haven't, we haven't even prepped this yet. <laughs> you know, anyway, I digress. And so, you know, sometimes we struggle with the idea that God even wants to use us. You want to use me? I did that before. God, use me, use me. And he's like, go talk to this person over there about me. I'm like, what? That's not really what I meant. <laughs> You know, because then, and then, see, then you see how easily you get into struggling with how he wants to use you. I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. God's like, am I your Lord or not? <laughs> and then we can even struggle with what, with what he wants to give us so that he can use us. Like I said, you know, like if God's over there sharpening the, the sickle to get ready for a harvest, and he said... And I finally come back over and say, well, what do you want me to do? Well, uh, you know, pick up the sickle and start sharpening. Because I'm going to put this into your hands so that you can do the work. A lot easier to harvest something with the proper tool. You know. And so, and, and so sometimes we can struggle with, especially when we talk about spiritual gifts, because that's something you can't see. Like if, I, if, 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 uh, if it was like an actual, like if God says, uh, you know, you need to paint something in here, which he has before. Well, I know, I know the tools to use to do that. They're physical tools. Okay, I got my brush. I got my, I got my, uh, um, I got my rag. I got my putty knife, which is essential for all painting work. And I'm like, okay, I know what to do. But if it's a spiritual gift, and I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, God starts op- to operate that in me, and I have, to, I have to practice with something I can't tangibly see, sometimes I wonder, why, why do I even have this gift? Why did you give this to me? So here in John 13... This is, and, and sometimes, too, it's not just what he gives us, it's what he does for us that we wonder about. So here, in, in, it says, uh, this is the first verse, it says, Now before the Feast of Passover, now that's important because the Feast of Passover is where Jesus instituted communion. He actually converted the Feast of Passover into communion, if you want to put it that way. And he freed us to do it whenever we want. See, they did it annually. We could do it whenever we want. To the Jews, it's a time of celebration. They, they love Passover, but they only get to do it once a year. We can do it whatever we want. <laughs> so it said, now before the Feast of Passover, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That means that Judas received that. Okay? Of his own will. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter, told, Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love that. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So it may seem like Peter was taking offense that Jesus was going to wash his feet, but that's not really what happened here. Really, it was because he felt so unworthy of Jesus washing his feet. I've been to foot washing. Very humbling. It's humbling for the person doing it, but it's also humbling for the person who receives it. I've seen it. I've seen people weep, you know, because it's, it, it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to describe. You'd have to see it. So really, like I said, Peter's, to this, to, P, to Peter, this is completely undeserved. Unearned. He was not, in his mind, he was not at all worthy of what Jesus was about to do. But see, Jesus told him, you're already clean. And in other places, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Remember, he said, My, the words I speak are spirit and they are life. So Jesus told him, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. So what Jesus is really meaning here is that I made you worthy. I have made you worthy for this, of this. Okay. So, Jesus washing their feet then is an expression of grace. It is, it is an, an embodiment of grace, if you will. Grace is getting good things from God that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the bad things you deserve. We all deserve hell. I'm awful glad I'm not going to get what I deserve. But then, grace is getting good things from God that we don't deserve. We didn't earn, we didn't work for. And this is excellent timing because the other day, Tammy and I were talking and she made the comment that many people struggle with the idea of grace. You know, specifically salvation. Because that's where you start. And uh, this may help you, again, in your witnessing to the lost. You know, she said, and, and, I, and, and I, I, I might tweak what she said a little bit because I don't remember exactly what she said, but I'm going to get close. She said to people who don't understand grace, being saved just by saying out loud that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart, believing in their heart God's raised him from the dead, she said, to them, being saved just like that, it would be like signing up for college, not showing up to any classes, skipping the studying, partying all night, sleeping through the test, and still passing. And I'll add this, passing with an A. A++. 
Not just, a, not just a bare minimum passing grade, because you remember, it's grace. Yeah, I don't deserve the passing grade, and I sure don't deserve the A++, but with God? Because, remember, he, he calls us righteous. You're righteous. Not just accepted, righteous. <laughs> and we don't deserve that. Amen. And so, and, and I say this because even, even when we don't understand the good thing we're getting from God, Peter didn't understand. He didn't understand. You know, he, he, he said, I don't, I don't understand why you're doing this for me. He recognized it was a good thing to receive that. But he's like, I don't understand. Why would you do this for me? It's the same thing when, when Jesus went to go down to get baptized and John the Baptist said, I should be, I should be being baptized by you. And you're wanting, you're, you're coming to me? Jesus is like, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and you think about that to, to John. Think of what an honor that would be for John. Because <laughs> John knew who he was. And she, Jesus even told Peter, he said, you don't understand. I know you don't understand now. So be aware, there will be times in your life that God is doing things and you won't understand at the time. But you don't have to fully understand the goodness of God to receive the goodness of God. You understand in part, words that you, we know in part, we understand in part. So you understand enough that it's not just a superstition. And he said, you know, there may, and there may be a, a time we, we come to understand better. In fact, it, Jesus assured P Peter, you will understand this later. You will understand it. But because his grace is so super abundant, I think that it would be a miracle to fully understand all that God is capable of. You know, I, I mean, that's not even really an opinion. That's just, that's just a fact. It would be a miracle to understand everything that God is capable of. Let's flip uh, back a couple books to Luke. And we'll be looking at chapter 22. You know, anything that you receive from God qualifies as his grace. Because like I said, none of us here deserves anything good from God. So that means that anything you get is grace. Anything from God. And grace itself is so big, so infinite, that it, it operates on so many levels that we really have a hard time wrapping our head around it. It would uh, help us if we thought about God's grace kind of like we think about mathematics. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a perfect analogy by any means, but, but I mean, you think about it. No one expects a student who's just learning mathematics to have a full grasp of mathematics, of all of mathematics right away, right? They just start out. They learn number recognition at a very young age. If, because if I, if I can't understand the value of this figure, how am I supposed to do anything with it? So, so we start there at number recognition. One of the teachers at Bible college used this analogy. He was talking about spiritual growth. So it was a but it, it works for this too. But he was like, he said, so what do you, what do you learn first about, about math? And, the, and a, b a bunch of people shout out, addition. He said, I'm glad you're not teaching my kids. He said, because first you learn number recognition. <laughs> then you learn addition. Then you learn subtraction. 
Then you learn multiplication. Then you learn division, and, you get, and so on and so forth until you get to the super complicated stuff that we can't even pronounce, or at least I can't even pronounce, you know. And uh, they're all, each one of those, they're all different facets of mathematics, okay, and yet they're all still called mathematics individually, right? Advanced calculus is mathematics. Number recognition is mathematics. Doesn't matter how advanced it is, it's still mathematics. Doesn't matter how simple it is, it's still mathematics. So we learn this in a progression. And uh, grace, it's the same with grace. By the way, because there's different facets of grace. You can find them in the word and you can say, ah, saving grace, standing grace, sanctifying grace. Okay? And, and communion, okay, because gr grace, the, the grace that we start with is salvation, saving grace, as the word says. And communion, which Jesus gave us an, is, as an ordinance to observe, is actually a picture of saving grace. It's like, you know, if you, take, if you ever take a class, they give you a piece of paper at the beginning of the class, the syllabus. I don't think I ever really read any syllabuses that they ever had to me. But the syllabus, okay, gives you, it tells you this is what you are going to learn in this class. And it gives you point by point, this is what you will learn. So the communion table is like a syllabus pointing to the different aspects of saving grace. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a portrait, an illustration, okay? Because God was faced with a problem when Adam and Eve fell. Mankind, whom he had made and treasured, had fallen from his grace. Now, think about this. God did not fall from grace. Mankind fell from grace. God still had his grace, his marvelous grace, something so beautiful, so life-giving. And he, he still had this grace, and he wanted to restore it to mankind that had fallen. Okay. And his solution to this problem was Jesus going to the cross to pay for our mistakes. Now, look at this here in, in Luke 22. We're uh, looking at verse 14, if you would. It says, when the hour had come, now we're actually going to look at the communion table. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is, not, this is something that God fervently, earnestly, passionately desired to get to us. Okay, we have to look at the God side sometimes. That God is so passionate about this. That Jesus is like, I, I, I'm so passionate about this, I'm going to suffer to get this to you. So he said, I have, I, I, I have, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, 
this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's the command. Verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now remember, in Psalm 23, the psalmist told God, you prepare a table. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Remember that? This Jesus is sitting at table. Take this. Take this. These are symbols. Okay? The Bible says that the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death is here, still among us. But God has prepared the table with salvation. Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. We talked about that a while back. Salvation is protection from death. Before death is fully defeated. So yeah, death is still around as an enemy, but God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. All right? We are seated at the table with Jesus. Sin is an enemy that separates people from God. But Jesus shed his blood to pay for our sins. Salvation is on the table. Disease and sickness are enemies. Yet Isaiah 53 says Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Healing is on the table. Fear, anxiety, stress, worry are enemies. Again, Isaiah 53, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Jesus told us, my peace I give you. God's a giver. Peace is on the table. The table where Jesus was sitting when he gave us communion was the blueprint. God's, it's for God's plan of how he was going to restore to us the grace that we fell from in the garden. See, God may, may have been faced with a problem when mankind fell. But no problem is too big for God. Actually, he had the solution before the problem ever existed because Revelation 13 said that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. <laughs> that means that before God created time and everything in the universe, he planned on creating mankind in his image, knowing that he was going to give us a free will and that we would fall, and he was already prepared then to sacrifice his son in order to restore us. To his grace. See, grace is so big. We can't outgive God. I'm telling you, to sit at this table with Jesus, you don't have to understand. I mean, to, to accept Jesus is to take a place at the table, to take a seat at the table. Jesus was like, there's more than enough room. Remember, he told him, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, if there wasn't enough room, I would have told you. It's the same with the table. just have to believe that God is offering you this and receive it by faith. Just trust him. Take him at his word. It's what he wants. And if you're hearing this now and you haven't accepted Jesus and, and chosen to follow how he lives and you want to do that, it's easy. Romans 10.9 says that if you say out loud, Jesus is Lord, mentioned it several times today, 
you say out loud, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. The more difficult part is coming to the conclusion that after all these amazing things that God has done and he's offering to give us, that we turn away from anything God says is wrong. Really, out of sheer gratitude. I told someone before, on the, uh, you know, they, they called me, this was, this was back before we ever even got to Texas, they called me and they were concerned, you know, they were, you know, I, I, well, um, you know, what about keeping all these commandments? This is hard. I said, I don't wake up every morning and say, okay, I'm going to try to keep this commandment today. I said, I just live to please God. And as I go about my daily life, if something comes up that I know wouldn't please him, I don't do that. See, that's, that's, that's doing it out of gratitude, not obligation. Yeah, I am obligated, but the motivation is out of gratitude. And, uh, you know, the reason I don't usually lead us in what we call the sinner's prayer is because I feel strongly that a person should tell Jesus he is their Lord in their own words. And, and I mean, I know that's hard for people because sometimes I don't want to know what to say. Well, be honest with God. He understands your heart. But when it's like, I, you know, what I, I, I mean, what if, I mean, it's going to be hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break. You're supposed to break. You're supposed to break. <laughs> supposed to be a breaking point. Amen. So, for those of you that, if that's, you're saying that prayer, that's between you and Jesus, I'm, I'm going to actually get ready to take communion up now. I'm, I'm ready to, to be done. So, for those of you who want to take communion, we have the communion on the back table there. And, uh, you know, I forgot to grab, Iris, would you grab one for me? I forgot to grab one for myself. So, so you're all free to, to go grab that. Maybe Becky would be willing to do that. Becky, would you be willing to play a little bit on the, on the keyboard? Thank you. Awesome. So, again, you know, Communion is such a personal thing between you and God, and we can take it. Per, we can take it together. We can take it individually. Um, so, if you want to take it yourself, you can. I'll give you a minute to do that. Becky's going to play a little bit here, or if you want to wait, I'll. You could take it with me, and I'll. I'll pray.
you haven't already taken it, I'm going to go ahead and take it now, and you can take it with me if you like. I'm going to go ahead and take the bread. Lord Jesus, thank you for that symbol, this, just this symbol uh, of, of the suffering, Lord. I thank you for suffering for me. I thank you for the healing that comes by your stripes. Isaiah 53, by your stripes, I was healed. So I thank you. I remember what you suffered. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take the bread. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this symbol. Just this, I thank you for this, just this grape juice that just stands to remind me of your shed blood that I could never repay. But you say it's enough that I accept you, that I walk by you, that I speak your words, that I do your work whatever that is that you called me to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Go ahead and take the juice. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hmm. Well, I kept you guys a little longer than normal. You all feel like you, that helped you? Yeah? Yeah. Praise God. Okay. Well, I'm going to pray and dismiss, and if anyone needs prayer, seek us out. Remember that uh, Brother Eliza is speaking next Sunday. Um, we're looking forward to that, huh? There's a time change? Okay. Wow, you picked a, a challenging day to preach. There's a time change that day. What is it? Is it, is it spring back? Yeah, that doesn't work grammatically, does it? Spring forward. If you have a question about daylight savings time, don't ask me. No. That's not my area. Ask Tammy. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, uh, spring forward. So, remember that. Um, I think it is interesting, you know, was, we, he and I were talking about that, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, uh, and to me, an American congregation, you know, it's actually, it would probably be very good to hear a message translated because all over the world, people, you know, missionaries go out and, and these people that are so hungry for God's word go and, and, and every time they listen to a missionary, basically, they have, to, they have to listen through a translator. So it's a good experience for us, you know. And, and it, there is a great deal of skill involved in preaching through a, a, a translator or interpreter. You know, because you've got to preach, and you've got to wait, and you've got to preach, and you've got to wait, you know. But it can be very powerful, just like Tim said. God's word's God's word, and it's powerful. So, okay, let's pray. Jesus, once again, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. It is why we are here. It is why we meet. It is why we gather. It is why we praise. It's why we learn. And it is why we go into the world 
to witness to the lost. Lead us to the lost sheep, Lord. Help us to remember that they're not all just terribly, terribly bad people. Some of them are just, they're just lost. They just need you. So help us, give us the words. Give us the strength. Equip us with the gifts. Help us to stir up the gift that's in us. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're all dismissed.